Thanks, Antony. Happy Chinese New Year, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know what you're meant to say for Australia Day. It's a bit strange now, isn't it? You know, do you say Happy Australia Day? I, I don't know. But um, I think the best thing I heard about Australia Day was uh, an interview with an Aboriginal Christian that I saw where uh, he said, when they asked him, do you celebrate Australia Day? He said, yeah, I praise God the gospel came to this country. Uh, and I think that's something we should give thanks for. In our country, we're free to hear the gospel, free to meet together as God's people, free to read his word. So uh, I'm going to pray and give thanks for that right now. So let's do it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in this country uh, we are free. We're free to believe in Jesus, free to live for him, free to tell others about him most importantly, free to come here and meet together as your people, free to read your word. Uh, And Father, we pray that we would never take that freedom for granted. Uh, We pray that we would see it for the wonderful thing it is. And so as we look to your word now, help us uh, to set aside all the other distractions so that we can understand your word correctly and live by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to uh, surprise you and shock you as we uh, we start tonight. Uh, I'm going to tell you something something you don't know about me that might shock you. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of social media. There you go. You you might you might be surprised by that because you see me all the time putting photos of my cafe food on Instagram and and that sort of thing. I do it under sufferance. No, no, I don't actually do it at all. But. I have a particular dislike of something about Facebook, uh, and it's the fact that uh, when you put out a Facebook invitation, they give three options for how you can respond. So you you say, yes, I'm coming, no, I'm not coming, or maybe. I hate maybe. I just, everything about maybe annoys me. I, I cannot see a reason to put maybe other than to say to the person who's invited you, I don't hate you but I don't really like you. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I might want to come to your party if I don't get a better offer down, down the line. That, does anyone else find that offensive? I find that a bit offensive if someone said that to me. How does maybe help anyone? I'm organising my birthday party. We've got to book a restaurant. Let's just check it the day before. I've got 10 yeses, 5 noes and 26 maybes. <laughs> what do I do with the maybes? Do I book 13 seats just in case and work on a 50% ratio? I don't know. But anyway... Now, it could just be I'm a grumpy old man, and I think that is the case, uh, except that Jesus agrees with me. So, (laughs) there you go. And uh, you look at the book of James in the New Testament, what does it say? It says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And there is no maybe anywhere there. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Uh, But I think in this parable today, Jesus explicitly condemns the maybe people. Uh, But by the way, if you've ticked maybe at some point, That's okay, God loves you, it's all right, he's forgiven. (laughs) But here, Jesus is not just talking about missing out on the birthday party, he's talking about missing out on eternal life, he's talking about missing out on the heavenly banquet, God's eternal kingdom. So let's look together, turn to Luke chapter 14, you want it open in front of you. Now if you were here last week, I wasn't here last week, but I'm certain Mike did the right thing and taught on the first half of Luke 14, Uh, but you remember Jesus is sharing a meal with some Pharisees, So come to chapter 14, verse 1, and it sets the scene. It says, One Sabbath, when he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Now, when they're watching him closely, they're they're trying to catch him out. They're trying to find something to accuse Jesus of. Now, when I say Pharisees, when I say Jesus is meeting with some Pharisees, what do you immediately think of? You think bad guys, don't you? The word Pharisee is negative for us. 
Uh, so if someone calls you a Pharisee, you genuinely get offended. You, 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 you sort of say, well, that's not very nice. You've got me offended. They're the bad guys in the Gospels. We know them as hypocrites who refuse to listen to Jesus. But remember back then, they were the religious people. They were the people who took God's Word seriously. Uh, they were the good guys. But we got an insight into their problem in last week's passage. Just look at verse 7. It says, He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. And that's where you start to see the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were proud. Uh, and so you remember, uh, they were the people who knew God's law better than other sinners. But the problem was they knew they knew God's law better than other sinners. And they liked to tell people that they knew God's law better than other sinners. So remember a few weeks ago, we looked at another story in Luke's Gospel, where, where Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee walks into the temple, and what does he do? He says, God, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Not like that guy over there, who's a sinner. And so that's the problem. They're proud, they're arrogant. So anyway, at the end of last week's parable, Jesus talked about the resurrection day. So he brought this up. He brought up this day in the future. That was the day when God would raise up his righteous followers, when he would raise up his people, and he would establish his kingdom once and for all. And the Old Testament, that was pictured as sort of a, a heavenly banquet, a, a great party with God where you get to eat and drink with the God of the universe. And so, of course, if anyone is going to be a part of that heavenly banquet, it's going to be Pharisees. That's at least what the people of that time thought. And so that starts this conversation in our passage today. Come with me to verse 15 and now we're into today's passage. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table, so one of the Pharisees, when one of them heard him say these things... He said to Jesus, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Now, this Pharisee could have just been sort of making a general statement at that point, you know, for the people who get to be there, won't it be wonderful to, to eat bread with God in the, in the kingdom of heaven? Or it could be he was sort of presuming, you know, won't it be wonderful, wonderful for us, the special few who are there in the kingdom of heaven eating in the heavenly banquet? But whatever his motivation, it drives Jesus to tell this story about invitations and RSVP. So let's look at the story. Verse 16. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. Now you have to understand how sort of things worked back then to understand what's going on here. Uh, back then, you didn't sort of say, come at 11 o'clock, because you didn't know what time things are going to be ready. So you invite people, you say, on this day, come to the wedding, on this day, come to the feast or the party or whatever it is. But then you send out a slave or someone to say, now everything's ready, now's the time to come. So the point is, they'd RSVP'd. They'd said, yes, I am coming, I'm, I'm going to be there. But then on the day when you let them know that everything was ready, the slave goes out to tell them, well, the banquet is ready, it's time to come. Then, verse 18, without exception, they all began to make excuses. Now, remember, they'd received the invitation, they knew it was happening. So even if they had real excuses, this is still pretty rude, you know, you, we know you're having a banquet, we know we've said we're coming, but we've organised something else. That, that's rude in and of itself. But they aren't even really good excuses. Look at verse 18 again. It says, the first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. 
I ask you to excuse me. If someone gave you that excuse, you, you would sort of say, fields have a habit of not moving. The, the field will be there tomorrow and surely you looked at the field before you bought it. You know, this is not meant to be a serious excuse. Verse 19, another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Again, the oxen will be there tomorrow. And again, surely you tried out your oxen. It's sort of like someone saying, I've bought a new car, so I've really got to go for a drive. And that's what I'm going to do instead of going to your party. That's how lame it is. And verse 20, and another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. Like, I'm not asking you to leave your wife. You know, we're talking about a couple of hours for a party here. They're, they're lame excuses. And I think Jesus intentionally tells lame excuses, comes up with lame excuses, because the real reason is actually obvious. We don't want to go to your banquet. We're not interested in coming to your banquet. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist at this point to know that Jesus was speaking very directly to and about the Pharisees. He's saying, you, you say that you're looking forward to the kingdom of God, you, you talk all the time about how you know God's word, you know everything that the prophets and the law and the writings of the Old Testament talk about, you've had invitation after invitation, because all the prophets were talking about this, you've claimed for ages you're the people who listen to God, now I'm here, the Son of God is standing amongst you, I'm here telling you the banquet is ready and all you have to do is believe in me and you're not interested. Now, we'll come back to verses 21 to 23 in a second. But Jesus makes it very clear to these people, there will not be a second chance. Just to jump down to verse 24. He says, For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Do you hear how ominous that is? He's saying, this is it for you. Don't come crying to me later and saying, I've had a change of heart. Don't come later and say, now I've decided to come. Now is your opportunity. Make your decision now. Now, in one sense, this was a parable speaking to that specific moment in history, to, to, to that specific people. It was Jesus explaining to the Pharisees, if you reject me, it does not matter how, how religious you think you are, it does not matter how much you think you know God's Word, if you reject Jesus, you will not be in that heavenly banquet. You will not be in the kingdom of God. And it was Jesus explained to the Pharisees in the verses we're going to see in a minute, that even if they reject it, even if they miss out, Jesus will still get people to come because he'll open up the doors and invite other people instead. But just at this point, bringing it forward to us, there's a couple of other things to see here, I think. I've put them there on your outline. The first is, this parable makes it very clear that God doesn't want to exclude people from his kingdom. These people got the invite, they, they even got the reminder, but they decided to miss out. And that's something the Bible makes very clear, God desires that all people be saved. The invitation is for all people, but sadly people choose to reject God's invitation. Secondly, and this is, this is sort of just a thought, uh, I'm not certain Jesus had this intention, uh, but do you notice that the excuses he puts in people's mouths, because he's making up this story, that the excuses he makes them give, do you notice how they are financial and about family? Do you notice that? The excuses Jesus chooses to use are money and family. The first two are about business and wealth. I'm, I'm more interested in my, my field and my oxen. That's what's stopping me. And the second is about commitment to family, stopping the person 
Except the third, sorry, is about the commitment to family stopping the person accepting the invite. I say that's interesting because in the Gospels, and especially in Luke's Gospel, Jesus uses those two examples all the time. Nearly every story or parable or interaction with people where people choose not to follow Jesus, it has something to do generally with wealth or possessions or money. And if it's not, it's about family. So he talks about all the time, earthly security, money, wealth, desire for comfort in this life, desire for security in this life. Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then he also talks about family, especially the fear of rejection from mothers and fathers and, and, and husbands and wives. Here in this story, these are clearly lame excuses the people are giving. But the reality is all too often it is those two areas that actually stop people following Jesus. I've known too many people who know that the gospel is true in their brain. They don't doubt that Jesus is real, they don't doubt that he is risen. Uh, often people, people say, oh, people don't believe for intellectual reasons. I meet very few people for whom it's actually intellectual reasons. It's generally that they'd much rather the things of this world. That's the reality. And people who walk away, they walk away because they get caught up in the love of money, the love of career, the love of wealth, the love of whatever it is. And sadly, I've known more than a few people who know the gospel is true here in their brain. They, they, they may even believe Jesus is risen, but they will not do it because it would upset their family. I remember there was a guy I used to have lunch with once a week at work when I used to work in the city, uh, and he was from a Muslim background. Uh, and I shared the gospel with him over and over again. And one lunchtime, he said to me, Phil, I believe it. And I thought, this is wonderful. He's going to become a Christian. How wonderful is this? I've never had someone become a Christian with me here in my workplace. Uh, and then he said, and I said, so do you believe? He said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. And I thought, well, let's, let's pray. How good is this? And he said, but I cannot become a Christian because my family would disown me. How sad is that? In the end, he said, I would rather my family than eternal life because he cared more what his mother or father or husband or wife thinks than about Jesus. I just think it's telling, Jesus chooses to use those examples in this parable. But back to the story, it would have been incredibly shocking to people back then to say that the Pharisees and the religious Jews would be the ones not in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, people would have thought, well, if the Pharisees aren't going to be there, who will be there? You know, is, is the kingdom of heaven going to be empty? Is, you know, I sometimes wonder when you walk past those exclusive sort of bars or nightclubs in town and there's a, a bouncer out the front, I wonder, are they so exclusive that no one's in there? You, you know, is, is it like that? Well, let's look from verse 21, who's going to be there? It says, so the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, and before we get to what he says... It's a really important thing there, what he says. Do you notice how the rejection of God's invitation makes God angry? Do you notice that? When someone rejects the gift of Jesus, when, when someone hears, God has sent his son into the world to die for your sins. God has sent his son to the world to be your saviour. When someone hears that and rejects it, God doesn't think of that in an impartial way, like, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. It is a terrible affront to God. It rightly angers God and ultimately it's the final confirmation of a person's judgment. 
that a person has rejected the Son of God. It's a final confirmation of God's judgment. So God is angry at these Pharisees. He's not just upset, He's angry at them for rejecting Jesus. But then in His anger, He doesn't pick up His bat and ball and go home. Look what He does. Verse 21 again, He says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind and lame. He says, well, let's open up the invitation to people who are not too busy for it. Because the thing with poor people is they don't own many fields and they don't own many oxen. You see, and these are the down and outs. One, they? they're the people who, who were shunned by that society. These are the people who everyone thought they are cursed by God. They're not the people blessed by God, they're the people cursed by God. But God says, let's bring them in so they can enjoy the feast. But even after all of them come in, slave comes back and says, look at verse 22... Master, the slave said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Which is a wonderful reminder to us that the kingdom of God will take anyone. When I preach at funerals, the passage I preach on more than any other is John 14, verses 1 to 6. Do you know that passage? One one of the reasons I preach on it, it says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the other reason I preach on it is Jesus says, "In in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. See, Jesus is saying, there is so much room in the kingdom of heaven. No one is going to miss out because they were too late responding. Just, just respond. Just RSVP. Just come. There is a room for you. And he says, let's open up the invitation even wider. Look at verse 23. Then the master told the slave, go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Now, in this parable, it's sort of, well, we start in the city with the world, then we go to the poor people, then we go outside the city into the countryside and the villages and the towns and invite everyone. But again, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, well, because you Pharisees have rejected me, well, I'm going to invite all the other Jews, the people you reject, the sinners, the tax collectors, the lame, all those people. But then I'm going to go outside into the world. I'm going to go outside the city walls and I'm going to invite Greeks and I'm going to invite Romans and I'm going to invite whoever else. I just want people to come and be a part of my heavenly banquet. I just want people to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. So let's invite everyone. Which leads me to a couple of concluding thoughts for us from this parable. Again, I've put them there on the bottom of your outline. The first one is this, and this is the main one actually. Our first response to this parable here for this group of people should be just to praise God. That's the first response to this parable. Because we are the people who were outside the city walls. Unless you're a Jewish Christian, there might be one or two here, but, but for the rest of us, we, we are the Gentiles, we are the people who, who the kingdom of God has been opened up to, not because we deserve it more than the Pharisees, if anything we deserve it less, but because He is such a generous host. So praise God that He has opened up His kingdom for people like us. Second thing, this is a reminder to us that the gospel we know is for all people. It's not just for religious people, it's not just for Jews or for Gentiles, for that matter, it's not just for middle-class people or educated people or white people or whatever it is you historically associate with Christianity. There is plenty of room in the heavenly banquet and we want every person on earth to receive their invitation. One of my most disliked sayings I hear people say, and you've heard me say this before, is when people say, gee, that person would make a good Christian. 
I hate that saying. And what they mean is, gee, that person's middle class and respectable. Actually, that person's probably less likely, according to this parable, to become a Christian because they probably don't realise they're a sinner. The only person who makes a good Christian is a sinner like you and me who recognises we need forgiveness. And that could be anyone. Third point, it's a reminder to us that we won't know who will accept God's invitation, we just invite everyone. Everyone would have thought that if anyone was going to make a good Christian, if anyone was going to accept God's invitation into his kingdom, it would be the Pharisees. If anyone would recognise God's Messiah when he came and follow him, surely it would be them. And in time, praise God, some of them did. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, but most didn't. And no one would have thought that the way the church would grow would be through the down and outs, the sinners. It'd be the Gentiles who would flock to Jesus, the pagans, the, the people involved in all sorts of horrible sin. We do not know who will accept the invitation. I remember I was on a mission once when I was back at Moore College, actually, and we went out knocking on doors in a country town. We went out knocking on doors, uh, asking people if they wanted to talk about Jesus. And I got to this one lady's door and she said, oh, are you with the mission team? I said, yeah, I'm with the mission team. She said, I, I go to the Anglican Church, which is where the mission team was based. Uh, and, and I said, oh, that's wonderful, praise God. And she said, yeah, I'm a parish councillor. And I said, oh, that's even better, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and then she said, yeah, yeah, so, so don't bother going to that house over there because they're Muslims and, and they wouldn't be interested. And they said, don't bother going to that house over there because they argue a lot and I think they drink. So, so, so they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't be suitable. You, you know. And it was at that point I decided, I'm going to stay and talk to you <laughs> before I go to them and them because you need to hear the gospel because you're not a Christian if you think that way. That is not how a Christian thinks. You see, if you think like that, you don't understand the gospel. The good news of Jesus, God's invitation to his kingdom is for all people. And the reality is that just like in Jesus' time, it is often not the religious people and not the respectable people who respond to his invitation. It's sinners who know they need a saviour. Some people say to me at the moment, they say, oh, well, the the harvest is hard in Sydney, isn't it? They say, oh, it's hard for the gospel. People aren't responding to the gospel and, and people are negative about the gospel and so forth. And I often think, I sometimes say it, depending on if I know the person well enough, but I, I often think, you're talking about white middle-class people, aren't you? That's what you're talking about. Because in my experience, the nations, people who've come from other parts of it, are wide open to the gospel. And you only have to see that in the people becoming Christians in our church, right across all our congregations. People from those days who aren't hard and who don't think they know it, are open to hearing about Jesus. We must never think we know who will accept God's invitation. It's our job just to invite everyone. So as we start this year, I want to say to you, who are you praying for? Got the life course starting in three or four weeks, who are you praying for? Who are you inviting? And don't think, who's the most likely to come? Just think, do I know them and do they need to hear about Jesus? And then pray for them and invite them. Because we want them to be with us in that heavenly banquet, isn't that right? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not be hard-hearted like the Pharisees. We would pray that we would not be like them, comparing ourselves to others and putting ourselves above others. But instead, we pray that we would see ourselves as forgiven sinners, which is what we are. And we pray that we would be so thankful to you that you have opened up the doors to your heavenly banquet to people like us.
And we pray that as we start this year, we will be praying for and looking to invite people to join us on that day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.